podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, Gareth Roberts and John Gibbons with you. We're going to be joined in part two by Rod Dixon. That's Rod Dixon, uh, who is going to talk to us about his play, uh, his adaptation of the Damned United coming to the Unity Theatre. Uh, it should be fantastic, that. Uh, but between now and then, we're going to begin to sort of look at uh, what we can sort of divine from this summer so far uh, from a Liverpool point of view in terms of the sort of, the, the, the sort of footballers who we've been linked with. And the one that sort of gets my attention at the moment, John, is, is what's happening in midfield in that... Liverpool this week were, whilst I was away, uh, were linked with uh, a Milinkovic Savic, uh, the, uh, the the lad who's playing for Lazio centre midfield. who's all very, very physical, uh, big lad, very very aggressive, aggressive, and all that sort of stuff. There's the ongoing links to Kater, uh, Zielinski's come back in, and one of the things about this is as having grown up and watched Xabi Alonso especially play centre midfield for Liverpool, but even going back and thinking about people like Gary McAllister and thinking about the, the Liverpool way in centre midfield, we're very into the idea of a controlling midfielder. And yet, and you can spring a surprise, it doesn't seem as though that's necessarily the the, the profile of centre midfielder that Jurgen Klopp appears to have an interest in. Yeah, he doesn't seem interested at all um, in, in that. I mean, he, he if he was here, he might argue, well, that's a little bit of what Lallana's doing and what a little bit of what Coutinho doing in that they can, you know, they're, they're dictating the game of football, but they're not getting the game by the scuff of the neck, like, you know, from deep, like, like kind of, I guess, we're, we're used to kind of growing up seeing, and, you know, this and I guess a bit, it takes maybe a bit of getting used to in terms of, because he, he talks about possession a lot of you as well, Jürgen, so he's interested in that. And you saw from the statistics from last season that, you know, we were right at the, you know, the, the top of the table in terms of, you know, how much we had the ball. And so it's not like he's not he's not valuing Liverpool having the ball. It's just a kind of a different type of central midfield, I guess. And I think, I think they go a lot on stats in there as well, because there's, I think the Zielinski one is one where you know there was no one else really looking at him he hadn't really done anything but they seemed to really want him last summer and then he's come up again as you say and it's and they, they, there's, there's something in there in terms of what he's doing that they're very interested in and Cater's one I think that unites a lot of people because he's he's got the goal return as well and he's and he's quite eye-catching but I think you know if they don't get Cater it might be you know something very much left field and it might be someone who you think well why, why, is, why is he you know so high up and it's just, you know, as you say, the physicality, how much they put themselves about. I mean, he demands a lot of those guys who are ahead of the the, the deepest midfielder. And I think the deepest midfielder is another, another one which I'm sure we'll come on to. But in terms of the two ahead of them, I mean, he demands a lot of them physically in terms of the press and how much they're willing to put themselves about, you know, how how in the face they are, you know, and just a kind of a physical presence as well. And so he's he is just looking for a different type of thing. And I think, you know, how midfield you know we always think of it as a two really and, and kind of that's gone out of fashion really so you had the guy who was good at tackling and then you had the guy who was good at passing and Jürgen's not really interested in either of those things and that's quite interesting as well uh, we you know John mentions there the deep alliance stuff Gareth it's we, we we had a conversation about Henderson the other day without sort of focusing just on that it's striking that there hasn't been that sort of clear given Henderson's question marks around injury there hasn't been that sort of clear what the manager calls number six what I remember being what Ronnie Whelan was doing for Kenny Dalglish what did the man did for Gerard Houllier what yeah. you know that that player insofar as we can see so far and I don't think it's just that we're quiet but it could be but that player just has not been on the radar at all in fact of all the positions on the pitch there's only really that and right back where there's no talk whatsoever yeah and it's interesting isn't it stylistically because I remember going all the way back to when um, when we appointed Brendan Rodgers there was talk even then about one of the reasons that that FSG went for him in particular 
was a style of football. And I think I think the same thing applies to Jurgen Klopp as well in that, you know, the, the, they've set out at the club for, for Liverpool to play in a certain way. So I think, you know, the idea that anytime soon Liverpool are going to be playing anything approaching being defensive football, except maybe in, you know, odd occasions if we're playing a team that are really sort of streets ahead of us, you might tweak the tactics there. But I think in general, you know, the kinds of football we were playing in the first half of last season where we're sort of blowing sides away and everyone's chipping in with goals and it's exciting to watch and it's high energy and everyone's getting involved. That's what that's ideally what I think Jurgen Klopp wants. And I think, you know, we've talked on here before about, you know, one way that Liverpool can probably look to improve next season is the home record away from home. You know, they seem pretty solid as a size, really. Okay, there was a couple of slip-ups, but in general, the, the points they took on the road was a, was a decent total. At home, you can see room for improvements, but at home, again, you're going to see sides sit in like you've seen every season for the last 20 years because coming to Anfield, playing Liverpool, still a big thing for a lot of clubs. And so with that in mind, the more actual footballers you can get on the pitch, the more players that can chip in with the goal every now and again, the more guile rather than just graft that you can get on the pitch the more likely you are to win. And I think that's what he's got in mind. I think he wants as many footballers as he can on, on the pitch, even going all the way. And I know it's a sore point, but going back to the you know the idea of getting Van Dijk, you know, as well as being a superb defender, yeah. he's someone who can chip in at the other end of the pitch. He can score free kicks. He can score with his head. He's good enough to go around a couple of players and slot one as well. So, you know, the, like I say, the more... Because, you know, the hard, it becomes harder and harder. I seen a stat the other day about... You know, Liverpool are one of only a few sides really in the league where they had, I can't remember off the top of my head, but so many scorers, if you like. And because there wasn't someone with on 30 or 40, yeah. there wasn't a Harry Kane, but what there was was a few people chipping in with 8, 9, 10, 11, up to Coutinho's 14, was it? And I think the more you've got that kind of thing going on in your side, the harder you are to stop because you just stop. It's It seems as though, I, I, I sort of think this is be, it's becoming a position really where you can... You can almost separate sides as to whether or not they've got one of these lads now. In that, what I mean by that is a lad who's sort of who's, who's your classic sort of holding midfielder. So, for instance, it looks like Guardiola doesn't want one. Um, not not dissimilar to Klopp, John. That the, the idea of the classic sort of a lad who's, who's going to Macaulay it for him, he, he doesn't seem that interested in. Whereas you know throughout the season, uh, the 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 um, that. Chelsea stuck uh, relatively seriously with Matic through the campaign, with Kante being more sort of aggressive and leaving his leaving his sort of traditional zone a little bit more. Uh, Klopp appears to be more in the Guardiola camp than say the 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 Mourinho stroke and uh, Antonio Conte camp, whose name I'd just completely forgotten there for a minute, but I, I glossed over it admirably. <laughs> um, he seems to be, you know, he seems to be far better at. At that sorry, more, far more attuned to that sort of thing than uh, than 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 you would possibly even have expected before you arrived at the club. Klopp. Yeah, I think it's. I think he just wants it to be exhausting to play Liverpool Football Club, and I think he's he's looking at players who who kind of make that happen. And uh, you you've obviously done an interview with James Milner this week, which is on uh, on our on our website if people want to listen. And, and one of the things he said was uh, about the whole whole game being the best performance of the season. And I thought that was quite interesting because I thought he'd have said it um, a bigger profile game. So did I thought he'd say Arsenal or Spurs or something. But he said Hull at home. And what was even more interesting was David Lynch, who works for Liverpool Football Club, came back to us and went, that's exactly what Klopp said when I interviewed him in Sydney. So they're in tune with that. And, and so it seems to be this idea of and what the whole players were saying after that game was, my God, that was tiring. 
playing against them. You know, it was really, it was kind of exhausting, really. And so I think he's, well, that's what he's looking for from, especially as midfielders, because it's that front six that leads the presses. And, you know, James Milner was talking to you, then he got just, he was just stood in left back watching them, wasn't he? Which is quite funny, really. And it's those. And so you're thinking, he's thinking, well, if I've got a defensive midfielder who's, who's, you know, good at holding position and stuff, and, you know, he's 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 going to help out with centre-halves and he's, he's going to read the game quite well and things like that, but that's going to be it. It's that exhausting to play against. Or if I've got a midfielder who's, who's who's a great passer of the ball, but he's not really moving about, it's that exhausting to play against. Or I've got these fellas who are doing this and, and it's and, and you know, the opposition is just puffing the cheeks out and going, I'm, you know, is how many of is the 13, 14 of them? You know what I mean? And I think it's 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 creating that kind of scenario when, when Liverpool have had the best, when it just feels like we've got an army on the pitch, kind of rather than eleven players who, who might be good at a particular thing. In amongst all of this, John, you were saying before we uh, before we started this conversation that Chan has been uh, has been being selected for Germany at Holden midfield. Yeah, he has. He's been, we've had these you know internationals holding on, and I've uh, I've watched a little bit of Germany actually. Uh, the obviously batter somebody you know, which is which you'd expect, but he, he he plays the next game as well, and he's playing very deep, and he's and uh, someone made one of these compilations where you can see every every touch, which is quite nice, and and so I watched that, and it doesn't give you a full full idea of the game, of course, but it gives you an idea of. Um, you know his position on the pitch, which is very deep. But he just, he just, I just took how confident he looked in that position. You know, he's, he's playing for his national team, and but he's he's coming very deep. He's he's getting the ball. He's demanding the ball. He's popping his passes off. It's a range of passes as well. He's taking free kicks. You know, thirty yards out. I mean, good luck with that with Phil Coutinho knocking about. But you know, he, he's grabbing the ball and saying, "I'll take it." And he actually takes a pretty decent one. It goes over the bar, but you know, plenty of dip and all that. And so. I think he, you know, how confident he looked in that position was quite striking to me, really. And uh, again, when when I interviewed Emmy Chan a couple of years ago, he was saying he just said, oh, "I just want to play midfield. I just want to play midfield." He was playing right back at the time, I think. But yeah. I think now he probably sees himself as as that's where I want to play. He's he's, he's refined it even more, if you like. In terms, so I'd I'd be very surprised if if we go in for defensive midfielder at all, because I think it's it's between Henderson and Sean um, completely for that role next year. OK, this is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. In a minute or two, we are going to be talking to Rod Dixon from the Red Ladder uh, Theatre Company about the play that they're putting on in the unity about the Damned United and adaptation of David Peace's book. John mentioned there earlier on in the show that uh, earlier this week, and I'm still slightly jet-lagged, hence me forgetting Antonio Conte's name, I uh, shot off to Utah, and thank you very much to everyone at Red Touch Media for the help with that, uh, to speak to James Milner uh, about uh, what he's been up to uh, well about the season and about the summer and about what he's looking forward to and about what he felt worked well for Liverpool and what didn't it's an excellent 25 minute interview you can find it on theanfieldwrap.com uh, I hope you choose to do so uh, if you haven't heard it as I say we're very very pleased that he took the time to do that as well so thank you very much to James as well on the off chance he's listening I know he isn't uh, but on the off chance he's <laughs> listening to this uh, he can uh, he can cut loose from there but this is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk we'll be back very very soon with Rob Dixon it's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk welcome back we're joined now by uh, Rod Dixon, uh, Rod, along with uh, John Gibbons and Gareth Roberts, about his, uh, the adaptation of the Damned United that's coming to the Unity on the 25th of July before going uh, for just shy of four weeks to the Pleasance in Edinburgh. And it was on last year at the uh, West Yorkshire Playhouse, uh, Rod. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a big deal, this really, you know, to get an extended run in Edinburgh during the festival. It's massive. Yeah, um, David Peace gave us the rights um, to the Damned United because we've. Lovely been... fella. Oh, he's an amazing fella. We've been talking to him for um, about Red or Dead his book about Bill Shankly and uh, we wanted to do an adaptation of the last couple of chapters about that looking at Shankly after retirement because yeah. I thought that was really interesting but um, there was some film deal or something going on and, and he couldn't give us the rights so he said what about the Damned United and we went duh well 
love that. We're, we're a Leeds-based company. Red Ladder Theatre Company is a Leeds-based company, even though I'm not from Leeds, obviously. And uh, So that was perfect, and Wessex Payhouse snapped it up. So we did a run there uh, of a larger version of it with five actors. Andrew Lancel, who's a, a Liverpool actor, actually was Brian Clough in that version. Mm. Um, but uh, it was too big to tour, so we, we've put it down to three now. It's a three-hander. Clough Taylor and another actor who's playing everybody, Sid Owen, Sam Longson, Manny Cousins, the lot. Not Don Revy, though, not Don Revy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I'm really pleased with it. I'm really, really pleased. I like the idea it was too big to tour. Uh, yeah. That's what should be said about everything. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's, the story is relatively well known now, just to sort of sum it up for people who are, who are listening who aren't aware of it. It's the story of, theoretically, the story of Brian Clough at Leeds, but it also then flashes back around his, his career up to that point and what's led to this point. And it's, you know, the, the, the book uh, the book and the film are quite different and I'm sort of intri- intrigued to see where your version sort of drops, to be honest with you, Rod, in that the book is, it's quite a serious, whilst often darkly, bleakly funny, quite a serious um, psychological study of a man who's, who's essentially chosen the worst job he could conceivably have chosen to go and do and is dealing with so many ghosts and demons. Uh, the film manages to find a way to make that more fun, more playful. Uh, you know, there's no... The, David Peace himself would say that this isn't about necessarily about absolute truth. Instead, it's about sort of artistic truth. So where does your artistic truth fall? Well, first of all, we didn't want to do anything like the film. Um, David had a bit of a trouble with the film. His his idea for the film was it'd be black and white, like a 60s, like Saturday night, Sunday morning type dark film. And uh, and they, and it was kind of centred around Michael Sheen's brilliant performance. It was brilliant. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, and it's a very popular film, but we didn't, we wanted to get away from the film as much as possible and try and capture David's book, which, as you say, is a fiction. It's a total fiction because it's it's inside Clough's head and nobody knows what was going on inside Clough's head. And the more you look into the man, the more you, you, you think, wow, he, he, he was a real, real character, a really interesting character. So we wanted to try and capture David's sort of darkness um, without it being too serious. It's very funny in places. But, um, but in the play which has been adapted by Anders Lustgarten. It's a great name. Um, he's a gooner. He's a gooner, unfortunately. But uh, we have emails about the play, and most of them are about, you know, Wenger. But it's uh, it's it's good. <laughs> and uh, 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 he's tried to get David's sort of um, style, really. And if you've read Red or Dead, I mean, it's quite hard work reading David Peace books sometimes. They're very mm. repetitive. And I loved Red or Dead because I, I grew up as a kid going to a lot of those matches. So for me, it, w- it was great. But... but uh, in um, in Damned United, he's sort of got a sort of poetic, sort of darkness, sort of like um, a bit like his uh, TV series. Um, what was it called? Red Ridings. Mm. Um, and and yeah, it's the relationship between Taylor and Clough that's really interesting because there's flashbacks to Derby when he was really successful. That's like his heaven, and Leeds is his hell. And uh, and so we go backwards and forwards between Derby and Leeds. And people who don't like football loved it. Because it's all about testosterone. It's all about the relationship between two fellas. Um, you and, did, and you did get that in the film, didn't you? I yeah. mean, you? You say in the film is very different, but I only recently watched the film. Um, I mean, I I basically shunned anything to do with Brian Clough because of his comments about Hillsborough yeah. and, and decided that I didn't want to do. You know, I didn't even want to watch a film about him. But yeah. it was just on recently, and I thought, you know what? Everyone talked it up, and it, it's obviously good and and everything else. So I'll give it a go, and I did really enjoy it. And it did end with me sort of, you know, YouTube and um, Don Revy and Brian Clough's famous interviews on yeah. on the television, which are, which are a great watching themselves. But that, that that relationship between him and Taylor's 
amazing, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. We were talking about it, me and Neil walking up here today, because you know, obviously, Clough, everyone knows Clough. Everyone knows what a huge character he was. But there must be loads of Peter Taylors in football who don't, never get put on a plinth, if you like, but are, are doing a great job behind the scenes. Absolutely. And and what's interesting, what's frustrating for Taylor, and this might be fictional, I don't know, but what's frustrating for Taylor is that without Taylor, Clough actually failed. You know, he he he, mm. he, he failed in Brighton, and then. Um, the book is, is uh, you know, Forest fans go, oh, you know, you don't show the good side of Clough winning two European Cups. So it's not about that. It's about those 44 days taking a job at Leeds, having slagged them off <laughs> and said they were awful and they were cheats. And, he, and we spoke to Norman Hunter and Peter Lorimer and, they, and Duncan McKenzie, and he said, uh, Duncan McKenzie was obviously after this, but Peter Lorimer said, yeah, he did actually say on the first day, you can take all your medals and all your pots and pans and throw them in the nearest dustbin because you've won them all by cheating. And he actually said that on day one. And you go, you got to mind him how he carries on with it, though. <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's, he started so he'll finish, you know. I know. They don't think it out, he'll, he'll back down a bit here, but like. All yeah. your pots and pans. That's my favourite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but it's, what's interesting, David told me that when he was re- researching the book, the Damned United was going to be a different chapter on a different Leeds figure. So there's going to be a chapter on Don Revy and a chapter on David Hunter and a do- chapter on Albert Johansson and a chapter on Clough. He researched all the others, no problem. Then he gets to the Clough chapter and he can't find the truth. He gets a different story from loads of people and he goes, it's like a fairy tale. And that's what he's called it, Damned United a subtitle, a fairy tale. Um, and, and the more you dig into the story of Clough, I mean, I had the same problem as you, Gareth, you know, his comments about Hillsborough were outrageous, but you, you look at the man, you wonder, it, it, any sitting in front of a microphone like this, he would have to say something controversial. You know, he, he, was, the, he was the Mourinho of the 70s and 80s. There was no doubt about that. And he was years ahead of his time in that way. The, one of the things that's, uh, you know, dealing with that sort of within the play with the amount of his personality that's effectively televised is an interesting thing, that, that both his public persona, but also how his almost certainly, I mean, you say before, we can't know what's in his head, but we can, you know, you can pull strands together that the way in which his private persona goes on to inform his public persona. When I was sort of saying before to Gareth, you know, one of my favourite things ever is thank you, Don. The way in which, you know, that yeah. is just, is just you know, to, 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 to take that sort of position on television the way in which he does. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, how how difficult is that to deal with within the context of, of, of turning it into theatre? Because it's, because it is a two-dimensional thing in, in 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 he's creating a two-dimensional thing and almost his own play on television at that moment mm-hmm. to realize that sort of within a theatrical setting must be quite a, a significant challenge not one that you can't obviously meet yeah i mean um it's highly theatrical though that's the interesting thing exactly because yeah. his relationship with directors is really interesting like the bosses and he takes them on and he's and he's arrogant and he and he resigns over and over again in derby and keeps mm. getting reinstated and and it's 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 hubris you know way there's a bit of an academic sort of theater term but it's pure pride that he, you know he's flawed and he's going to fall and it's just waiting for a fall and the thing is it's the typical tragedy you know the end you know that he gets sacked at the end of the day but you're waiting for how does it happen and that famous interview with Don Revy just amazed me because he didn't know that they'd called Don Revy into the Yorkshire TV that day. He, they, he knew he had an interview with Yorkshire TV and it was the, his last day at Leeds and he'd been sacked. And he turns up and he walks in and there's his arch enemy and he still does the interview. Yeah. And you go, that's 
mad. Imagine that now. Yeah. I'm, imagine Arsene Wenger and, and Jose Mourinho yeah. sitting down and having a chat. Yeah, so, yeah. And one of them doesn't know the other one's coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd be amazing. Well, they, well one of them would walk out, definitely. There's no doubt about it, you know. Or they'd kick a water bottle. I mean, th- th- that interview that, that we're talking about, it is huge. And I, and I would say to anyone, whether you fancy going to play, watching the film, reading the book or anything else, honestly look that up. Because if you've never watched it, it's it's amazing, isn't it? It's, well, I'll do a spoiler. We do use it. Do we you? use it because you got to. You got yeah, to. That got last to. day, the the, the play. Uh, we we we've got this brilliant projection designer, and it, and there's this horrible noise that comes every time he goes back to Leeds. It's just like like guillotine sound, and it goes day one, <laughs> day five. I mean, it doesn't go. 44 days, don't worry, that would be really boring. But, you know, it's like, it, it, it reminds you that it's just 44 days. You go to Ellen Road and he's, his ghost is still in there. We met the education fella and his office is Clough's old office. And you just feel it, you know. And he'd, he'd, um, he'd been a player and Clough had tried to sign him. I can't remember his name, but he tried to sign him. And he said, oh, yeah, this is a typical Clough story, uh, you know, I, 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 he said, uh, I, I want to meet you, young man. I, I'm not going to do a Clough impersonation. <laughs> I want to meet you, young man, um, but bring your wife. And he goes, oh, all right. So they go around and all the contracts are laid out. And and, uh, and he's thinking, well, OK, I'm going to get signed by Brian Clough here. Brian goes, um, right, uh, I'm just going to take your wife off for a meal. <laughs> and they disappear for like three hours. And he comes back and he goes, it's off. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he says to his missus, what was going on? What was going on there? And she goes, oh, he was really charming. He took me for a meal and we had a glass of wine. He never talked football once. And he goes, what? And that kind of thing, you know, and you, you think some of those stories, I don't know if it's true or not. It's a great story. You know what I mean? There's loads of people who've got stories like that about him. And, you know, you, you, he's an amazing character in that way, really. Have you seen the other one? Have you seen the one where he takes on uh, John Motson? Yeah. And just basically says about, about the way they do match of the day and about what they focus on and about looking at mistakes and about, you know, sort of underestimating everyone's football knowledge out there and, and it's their fault that players get booed, you know, and all kinds. Yeah. And really get stuck in. And it's, again, a fantastic watch because you can tell Motty didn't know that was coming. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, you know, what, what we're saying about ahead of your time, you know, people are still yeah. having sorts of similar complaints now about, about how football is delivered to people in terms of, you know, events and things like that. Yeah. The, the one other the one other thing which again I think is it's 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 very well done in the book and again it's a challenge for you theatrically is certainly for people who haven't been is the extent to the brutalist nature of Ellen Road mm-hmm. is something which, you know, how dank and awful if it basically is. That it, and that that's that's almost the aim of the enterprise. That, and certainly back then, they that was what you were looking at. Like, you know, lead supporters wanted it to be somewhere where people would despise. Putting that over again in a theatrical context, it's again it's a challenge, but I'm sure it's one that you're absolutely made up to 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 deal with because it has such a strong psychological air to it, Ellen Road. It's I, you know, it's a, it's a, both a, a brilliant and awful ground in equal measure. I'm gutted they didn't go up actually this season. I mean, but that's typical of Leeds. They were they were flying this season, and then they just don't make it. And Gary Monk resigns, and you go. That's why it's called the Damned United. They're cursed. They're totally yeah. cursed. And they they sing Champions of Europe. You know, loads of them sing Champions of Europe when he goes to Ellen Road. You go, what's that about? It's just gallows humour. You know, it's it is a dark sort of dismal place. I'm afraid still now. You know, and um, they've just they haven't done anything with the terraces. They've just stuck seats on there, so there's no leg room. Yeah. So you have to stand up anyway. You know, it's it's uh, it makes me laugh. It really does. So how did you how did you address that sort of putting it over think, in the theatres? I think the touring. Yeah, well, I think the thing about it is we want to take it to football grounds. So we were hoping to take it to Brighton Hove Albion, and then they got panicked about going up or something like that, and they, they can't. 
cancelled it last minute, but we will go there. We're gonna we're gonna do it underneath the stands, yeah. You know, in the concourse and stuff like that. So there's that, but also football is dead theatrical. So having Clough stand in front, particularly in Leeds, stand in front of the audience and go Leeds, hateful, hateful place, spiteful, spiteful place, and he gets booed. You know, and it, it, that's it's like a pantomime villain. It's it's really good. But yeah, I mean, obviously we've we've used footage and we've used lots of sound, and you know, we're trying to create that feeling of being. At the match all the time, really, and that's the thing that you're going for. You want to drill in sort of that that, that it's the, the, these the parallels, but also that the sound of a match isn't just always celebration. The sound of a match can often be pretty horrific. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, um, the a, a key point is the uh, the charity shield against Liverpool um, in August '74. That was a, a an uncomfortable match for him. And it's interesting, I was looking at Red or Dead yesterday, the paperback version of Red or Dead about Shankly. The cover is a photograph of Clough leading Leeds yeah. out against Shankly at, at the Charity Shield. And it's like, that itself, he, he didn't want to do it. He offered Don Revy to lead yeah. out his team. Mm-hmm. And Don Revy refused, like because he was mardy and a bit sly, basically. Was trying to put, heap it on him. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. heap it on him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, then, well, let's, let me just do all the key details. Uh, the Unity Theatre on the 25th of July. Uh, the Damned United is available to be seen there. Uh, so it's in association with the Unity Theatre in Liverpool. Uh, Unity's a fantastic theatre. If you haven't been, it's a fantastic... For a production like this, which is tight and, and, and intense, it'll be a fantastic place to see that. Uh, and then, uh, if you're around for the Edinburgh Festival at any stage and you want to break from whatever it is that, you, that is normally goes on there, uh, the theatre festival is often overlooked in expense of the comedy stuff so at the Pleasance in Edinburgh from the 2nd of August until the 28th of August it's a very very long run indeed loads of opportunity for people to get down and see it so that's the Unity on the 25th of July and then the Pleasance in Edinburgh from the 2nd of August until the 28th of August uh, Rod thank you very much for coming Great. in I'd just say we're doing Hibs as well on the 27th of July and the 30th of July we're doing it at Hibs God knows what kind of space they're going to give us but we're doing it there <laughs> and then we're coming back to Unity in November I think oh yeah brilliant yeah. so if it yeah. sells out in, in July you can get back in November uh, but the 25th of July for that for the Unity book your tickets now as I said before it is a reasonably small theatre so if we, you know if you want to ensure that you can get in for that on the 25th and by that sort of point as well you'll be desperate for some football uh, thank you very much indeed to Rod for coming in and everyone who sorted this out for us this is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk Neil Atkinson John Gibbons and Gareth Roberts back after your 7 o'clock with uh, everything that you need about Liverpool Football Club Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk, Neil Atkinson, John Gibbons and Gareth Roberts. Uh, with you until half past seven, if you're listening to this on the radio, I'm with you for about the next uh, 20 odd minutes or so. If you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, I like to sort of play both sides, uh, try to be honest and nice to people, and let them know where they're up to. Um, the, where Liverpool are up to, Gareth, he says, segueing in a partridge-esque manner, is that they haven't done any uh, transfer business as yet, other than Dominic Solanke, who looks mildly exciting off the back of the Under-20s World Cup. But when there was lots of talk of both Salah and Van Dijk uh, about two weeks ago, people are growing frustrated. The thing that sort of strikes me as as I was sort of thinking about this uh, whilst was sitting in airports is that you know it isn't as though there aren't. There's only really Manchester City and now latterly in the last couple of days Everton who've been genuinely busy in the transfer market. Everyone else does sort of appear to be in the same boat. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the Everton one in, in particular because they got a couple of. You know, quite big deals done. I think a sort of hit hit home among some Reds, and they're, and they're getting a bit frustrated that you know Liverpool haven't done something. And I think some of the frustration stems from the fact that we sort of know that Klopp wants signings done early, he likes to get them in and, and get them involved in train pre-season training camps, get them involved and make sure they sort of hit the ground running. And we saw that last season, didn't we? With you know Mane day one was brilliant for us, and I think you know that 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 sort of that's the ideal that you get deals done really early, but. 
I mean, this is super early. It's worth saying that. It's it's literally, you know, second week in June or whatever. And is the season actually finished yet? You know what I mean? It's, 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 people are still playing. Well, well Andy Kelly's <laughs> done a good piece in the Echo. Um, he, he, he sort of looked at what I've, at the business everyone's sort of been doing so far. And as you say, Neil, you know, there's not actually that much going on. Uh, Chelsea haven't signed anyone. Arsenal haven't signed anyone. Spurs haven't signed anyone. You know, the Manchester clubs, yes. Everton, yes. But what he, he also makes the point that, you know, Chelsea won the league last season and the first player they bought was, was July the 3rd last year. So, you know, it, it's one of those. I mean, the Everton fume in particular, I don't really understand because it's not like we were in for those two players. You know, if we were that, if we were going head-to-head with them and Everton had end, ended up with them, then I could sort of understand that a little bit more. But in, what Everton do business-wise in the transfer market, unless we're going head-to-head is entirely separate to everything Liverpool are doing. And, it's you know, it's easy to point the finger at the owners, and I've done it myself, and, you know, I, I was among the rest that were frustrated about the Van Dyke situation. But what I would also say is I think it's worth bearing in mind that when Liverpool come knocking, I think, you know, there's clubs out there, pound signs appear in their eyes, and they just think, oh, Liverpool, they've got money. And, and, you know, we always say, don't we, you know, you see it online and stuff when there's discussions and people will say, well, Liverpool are the fifth richest team in the Premier League and the ninth richest team in the league and, sorry, in the world. And why don't they behave like that? Well, that sound. And, you know, Liverpool's negotiation record, by the way, doesn't look great before I get the FSG apologist line. There is loads of deals that have broken down and ultimately being frustrating. But I'm just trying to provide some context to say I'm sure that it's probably quite difficult for Liverpool say in comparison to Everton, because I think clubs will, will see Liverpool and go, they've got money then, they're in the Champions League then, uh, you know, we'll see them top of these leagues for financials and all that, let's 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 stick our hand out and ask for a load of that. Yeah, I think there is a bit of that, I mean the Salah one is, is one where you, you, you feel like Liverpool feel like the old, you know, a couple of a decent hand on it because they've obviously been talking to the player, although hopefully not meeting up with them in in Blackpool or whatever. But they've obviously <laughs> they've obviously been talking to the player and to, and you know he he apparently seems very keen to come and they know that Roman needs to sell someone and so they if you know they were sat here now they they probably you know might, might privately say well look we we're in negotiations we feel like we've got to go down on this and every every you know after the fans on Twitter just want us to pay the first number that comes into Roma's head and so that must you know be frustrating the problem they've got is as you say the track record literally for this player we messed around messed around <laughs> and yeah. didn't get him and then, and then you know his agents you know he and his agent come out and said oh yeah we quite fancied Liverpool but you know, they just messed around and then Chelsea come in they were dead key they said all those have got to they paid the money and made me feel wanted so I went there and so they have got to be a little bit careful in terms of how the you know how the, the strategy because you know there's also a bit of talk that if Roma you know the Roman have got a, a few players who, who, who are worth a decent amount and if they sell the other one then do they need to sell Salah you know um, I mean we'll have to we'll have to kind of wait and see on that one so quite quickly sometimes your hand can't be quite as good as you think it is but you you have to allow for a little bit of of negotiation, I think, and you know, I was I was staggered to hear that the Sunderland accepted evidence for his bid for Pickford, yeah. and you're like, well, I mean, someone's got something wrong there, haven't they? Do you know what I mean? Uh, if someone goes, yeah, then <laughs> then kind of you know, on Salah, on Salah, I guess the frustration is, and the, the, for me, for me included, is that you know, as you rightly say, John, you, there was lots of reports that personal terms were agreed. Basically, the first day of the month, yeah. um, and that you know it was he was essentially going to double his wage at Liverpool, and that he was happy to do so, and he wanted to come. We've obviously had the various social media posts of his agents as well, which seems to suggest, among other things, 
A, he wants to come and B, he's getting frustrated that it's not getting wrapped up. But I mean, you know, if Roma are simply sitting there and saying, look, it's 42 million lads and we're going, now it's 28 million lads and they won't they won't agree the obvious middle ground, then then it will drag on, won't it? Yeah. I, I guess the fortunate thing, and I hope I'm not tempting fate here, but is that there isn't another club, it seems, at this moment, who are in there going, well, we'll just come in and pay it, which is what happened last time with Chelsea. And that is the danger, but seems that Liverpool Liverpool mustn't think that that's the case, although, you know, what you've just said is a bit of news to me that they could just sell someone else and say, OK, he's not for sale, but kind of think when you've agreed personal terms and your agent's been so front as he has been, you'd still expect it to get done. It'd just be lovely for it to get done, wouldn't it, for a, for a feel-good factor? I don't think, I don't think necessarily Roman would say, well, we're not selling him now, but suddenly, I mean, what I mean about the hand, you know, I think they're, they're yeah. kind of, they're thinking, well, Roman needs to sell here and it's by the, the end of the month or whatever. But I will, as, as you say, it is early and I think, you know, Klopp, Klopp's always said he wants players early, but he wants them for, Pre-season. Well, I don't. I mean, when does pre-season start? It's, it's, it's another month. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, there's early and there's there's early, isn't yeah. there? Like, we're, there's literally nothing we can do with Salah now unless we're going to get him to to help relay on the turf. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Which which is a which is a bad shot. Maybe that's what players should be doing in the summer. Get doing our jobs around Anfield. But um, you know, there's literally nothing we could be doing with the football now apart from paying his wages. And so, you know, I think we do need to calm down a little bit. Uh, just. Uh, on the, there's another side to that as well, John, which is that you know there's lots and stories coming out about the idea that we're going to uh, that Sacco uh, be leaving the club. Obviously, uh, Markovic and Moreno, uh, the three of them lined up to go for about a total of sixty million pounds, uh, thirty million for Sacco, twenty million for Markovic, uh, and ten million for uh, for Moreno. It's well, again, we, we want to see the club supporters tend to want to see the club strike the best possible deals that we can go in the other way so you yeah. know, get we you can become frustrated around what's happening sort of or not happening but we're doing the same thing going in the opposite direction so other clubs we're saying well it's 30 million for him it's 20 million for him it's 10 million for him supposedly there's people getting annoyed that we're pricing Kev Stewart out of moves uh, you know we're gonna it's it's I think it's partially because no one quite knows what's happening with the transfer market at the moment. And so everyone's a bit looking at each other going, well, what's the actual... You know, no one wants to be ending this summer uh, and the board are going, you look you look a bit of a divvy there. Yeah, I think there maybe the maybe is a little bit of that. You know, you see Harry Maguire going for 17 million and people saying, oh, wow, I don't think that'll look too bad at the end of the summer. And that'll look great at the end of the summer. I think he's a really good footballer and you think, you know, so I think, I think you've just sort of got to, you know, as fans kind of, you know, forget about it a little bit, of, you know, what we kind of used to. But as you say, kind of change and can't really be, and for, to be fair to Liverpool as well you know we talk about getting deals over the line last summer they were really good sellers you know they got good they got good value for for, for, for players that we wouldn't have necessarily expected you know particularly from Bournemouth um, and so you know they, they, they'll probably think well you know you can criticise us for certain things but you know we're, we're, we're within our rights to to kind of hold out a little bit for players who, who we're not sure about because you know we think they're still good footballers and we still think that they're of value to other people and we know that you know it's a it's a kind of a little bit of a seller's market at the moment because of because of what we've experienced going the other way um, The one that's Talking about seller, it appears that that's very much what Liverpool want to do, Gareth, uh, that they want this pacey option in attack. All the alternatives to them that have been mooted have all been that pacey option in attack. It seems as though that the main thing Liverpool have taken from the season in terms of what they need to do is ensure that they can always have that, that player with absolute pace in, a, in, in in who can play up front. Yeah, because that's what we missed, isn't it? Um, you know, when Mane went to, to the African Cup of Nations, you know, all of a sudden Liverpool had to play a bit of a different way and didn't seem so potent. 
all of a sudden when they didn't have that release of pace and also it meant you know opponents could set up differently against us and and negate us a little bit so yeah the team start you know Klopp's learned his lesson from that one uh, once some someone who's Mane-esque um, in, in the front line so but you know Salah seems pretty much the ideal one I mean his, his pace is absolutely electric and you know there's been a lot of alternative links other names but I don't. I don't know about any YouTube, but you know, sort of. They don't. They don't seem particularly convincing either in in terms of the source they come from, the fees mentioned, the age or the profile of the players. Anything, you know, you you just sort of feel mm, like that they might just be getting lashed out by an agent somewhere. As a listen, Liverpool are starting to get bored now and looking elsewhere, and you know. Because we know all this goes on, by the way, and you know, every, I think every single time we talk about this, we say it all is a huge game. Lots of agents use the me- media and manipulate the media to sort of get messages out to clubs and, and and play this game. And you know, Liverpool have just got to sort of emerge the other side with the players is the important thing, I think. Because I think another th- another reason, perhaps, for frustration at the moment is that Klopp semi set expectations I think a little bit by in that final press conference he did after Middlesbrough or before Middlesbrough where he said you know a lot of the hard work's been done already yeah. um, you know and that kind of made you think oh hello you know Liverpool have got things lined up here and then the Van Dyke thing went the way the Van Dyke thing went that adds to the frustration the Salah thing seems there for the taking that adds to the frustration and then the Blues do what they do, the Manx do what they do, and so on and so on, and and that's why that's why people are getting wound up. But I think I think we can say with absolute certainty that Liverpool will buy players this summer. We're, we're not going to literally line up with the same squad next season. I'd be dead entertained if we did. <laughs> Just when we're happy, all good lads. Uh, Expecting more from Kev Stewart. They, they're all they're, yeah, they're all good lads, Brent. Uh, John, you know, talking about the forwards there as well. The how he's going to use his forwards next season, and it's worth remembering that the, the, the shape he went with last season was was a bit of a surprise. And I yeah. keep suspecting it's a tiny little bit of a surprise to him how well it worked, and that's one of the reasons why maybe he stuck with it at times when it might not have quite been the right move. But it, it to me, I actually think it's, it's looking from afar as though he, he wants more of the same in terms of his options in attack. He wants he, he's seen what he's seen what he thinks works. You see, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure because there's this Mbappe link, which you don't know how much to read into um, but I think the interest in itself does seem genuine and whether he's just a wild card and they go look if we can get him brilliant and then we'll, we'll, we'll worry about it after or whether it's a bit more of a idea of well, we're going to play with a proper centre forward and I know Mbappe's mobile and I know he's he's you know, he, he can put himself about, but he's very much a centre-forward, isn't he? And then you look at Solanke and watching him, and people say to me, oh, he's a kind of combination between a nine and a ten. Well, he just looks like a nine to me. You know, he's a big lad and, and just looks like he wants to play centre-forward. And, and I'm not saying, you know, Solanke means, you know, we're going to completely change the way we play because he's a, he's a young lad. But it just just to kind of the... You know, if you look at him and Mbappe as a two, and you think is he is he is he starting to think, and then you look at what he wants to do with Coutinho, I just wonder whether he's, you know, he's thinking maybe more four two three one with with a with a with a proper centre forward, and you know we'll have to kind of wait and see on that. And you know, we might be just you might look at it based on what he's got next season, and he and he's always said, yeah, Klopp, don't you know, don't worry about formations too much. It's how we play and things like that. And so I don't think he's he's got something set in his head or if. You know, I want to play four two three one next season, no matter what, and I'm going to find the players. I'm sure it'll be based on kind of what he has, but just the Mbappe link is just it is just the and, the and the fact that it kind of hasn't got gone away, and the fact that you know 
is is the, 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 the seem you know a little bit encouraged on it it just just makes me think that is he thinking more well you know those three interchange and you know work really well but what was that because they just struck up a really good understanding and can you replicate that over different players can you get six of them who can all interchange you know you know you wouldn't play all six of them but do you know what I mean can yeah. you get can you get a situation where you've got six pacey lads up front and whoever to play they all kind of interchange in, in the same way or did he accidentally almost strike on a situation where Manny Firmino and Coutinho were just straight on the same wavelength and just play really well together and and, and that's kind of a, you know not a, a fluke makes it it sound like I'm being harsh on Jürgen I'm not but you know something that something that happens every now and again with with three footballers that, that's quite hard to you know to replicate and just roll out with different players coming in and out so I don't know um I think I think Salah's um you know an obvious one that they want to get in but but I think that's just adding more pace I don't think that necessarily gives us any indication over over how he wants to play because you know he might decide to you know he wants he wants Salah wide left and, and Manu wide right. You know in in, in kind of wide attacking midfield positions. So I don't think he's set on how he wants to play. I don't think he's. I think he's looking around and looking for players. But the Mbappe one makes you think if he if he does get him in then. You know what's that mean for storage and what's that mean for the Rigi? Uh, and I would say now we've got Solanke and you know bear in mind how he likes to use for me. You know, I'd I'd say be, I'd say be. be, be that would be Cairns for, for one of Sturridge or Origi, I would imagine. The other link that's sort of grabbed me, Gareth, as, as weird and left field. I mean, I went through every player Liverpool were linked with for our transfer committee game, uh, and it was it was quite the process. Uh, and this fellow hadn't been talked about at all, and it's just come in this last sort of two three days in a couple of a couple of places. Is is the lad Tadic from Southampton? Which yeah, it's a weird one. It's that. really weird. It's it's one of the. Did straight... you see where it originated from? Though, where did it originate the first from? person to report this link? Go on, hit me, hit me, hit me, and hit me with because I've been, I've been, I've been on and off planes yeah. checking phones. We mentioned that on our new uh, wrap up video, which we're putting out there, which is on YouTube and Facebook. Check it out. It looks terrific. Great, um, for the intro. Uh, yeah. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we mentioned this that this story on there. But yeah, this story originates from. Um, from from those who frequent the internet a lot, um, they'll know this name, uh, Duncan Castles, of all people. Oh. Um, and, yeah, the idea is that Tadic has got um, a, a release clause of around £13 million and that Liverpool are having a little sniff. Uh, it didn't seem to go down particularly well with the general sort of Liverpool support that you see online. It, it seemed to be, you know, a bit of a, a shrug. But the, the very fact, like I say, that it came from him, I found quite amusing because, you know, He's obviously pitching himself, Duncan. As a as a journalist, he does get stuff into the Times, which is where this story appeared. And yet, he, he seems to spend an awful lot of his time, certainly on Twitter, baiting Liverpool fans and uh, praising Mourinho to the heavens. It's um, and you know seems to be big friends of Jose Mourinho. So great, Mourinho. Yeah. So you kind of think, um, given given this sort of stance that he's took over a long period of time on on the Twitter. Um, you know, is it really to be believed that he's got any kind of inside track on anything Liverpool are doing over people who you, who you genuinely trust to have an inside track? I don't think so. I, I'd, I'd dismiss this one. I've got to be honest, because simply because it came from Big Dunk. Okay, uh, let's hope let's hope that Big Dunk doesn't have the last laugh uh, <laughs> on this matter. Um, there's sort of going right the way through this. It's th- more and more now, John. Uh, when you know the, the the whole conversation around. The deals and, and where Liverpool are. The, the thing that still doesn't seem to have settled down is the numbers we should expect. And that's my big sort of takeaway from the last couple of weeks is that at first I was thinking that we were looking 
pretty settled. Now there's people saying they're looking at seven, whether or not Solanke is included in one of them. Then there's the idea that they might just end up with sort of three or four. I think something that's difficult, I think, for supporters, because we, we, we all work the way in which we work. We all have the lives that we have. We all have the idea. The manager comes out and says, you know, we've been working on things. We're not just doing this from nowhere. I think something that we find difficult around the transfer market, and I know I do, is I'm sort of a bit like, well, surely you just know what you're going to do and you're just going to go and do it. Whereas I think, you know, you mentioned Mbappe before, you wonder if there's much more sort of opportunism and that it's it's, it's much more of a live, active thing than maybe at times we sort of give it credit for. Yeah, I think different managers work differently, don't they? And I think we, you know, we're, we're all children of Billy says, aren't we? And, and it was very much the, um, well, this is the, he had the positions he wanted to and then he almost had one, two, three, four, five and he just worked his way down and based on how much money he had left and whether he could kind of make it happen and things like that and you know he was he was, he was kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul and all that sometimes and things and, and that's kind of how he worked. I think I think um, I think Klopp's a little bit different from that. I think he's I think he's a um, kind of a bit more idealistic if you like a bit, a bit less kind of pragmatic than 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 Rafa Benitez was. I don't think he's wanted to chain a football. I was speaking to a Newcastle fan um, this morning, actually, and he was t- he was moaning about Newcastle's business. He was saying, we've got a lot to do. And he's like, he's he's basically sacked off half the squad from last season because he was like, well, that was the squad to get me up. And so, you know, don't, you know, and, he, and he's just been them completely. And, and I don't think, I don't think Annie Jürgens kind of really liked that, really. I think he's, he's, you know, he's got the players he wants for the style of play and he doesn't, he, and, that, and that's kind of who he is. So, I think he's the type who, who go, well, this is what I want, you know, who've sent him a midfielder. For example, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't sign one. And I think that's based on, if, he, if I think if there's, there's maybe two or three he quite likes, and if we don't get one, then... Grewich will get more game time. He'll, he'll look at Grewich, he'll look at, well, I'm moving Coutinho back anyway. You know, I've got, you know, I, I don't, you know, Kev Stewart's in the papers today saying he thinks he might have a good go next season, so that might be an order, a bit of encouragement. So... You know, I see, it, I see it like that really, and I, and I think the Mbappe one is a little bit of that. I think they thought, you know, what we might get one of the most exciting players in the world here, and we might be able to jump in. And I think, um, you know, there was an article on our site about, about about someone arguing that we've got a better chance than you think for for Mbappe. And when you kind of followed the the um, the logic, you thought, well, yeah, I can sort of see that really, because how many clubs can afford him and say they're going to definitely start him? And there's not actually a huge amount, and so if he's looking at it from from kind of that point of view, you can you can sort of see where people have coming from. So I think he is a bit more. Well, what what kind of footballers do I really like? How will they fit into kind of what we want to do, and how many of them can we get? I think it's interesting that he's almost put or seem you know it might be reading between the lines a little bit, but aren't we all um, that he's almost put himself front and centre of of his own transfer strategy, if you like. Yeah. So so if, what I mean by that is he's backing himself as being a sell. Uh, as well as Liverpool being a sell. So, you know, he, he obviously went and spoke to Van Dijk, as we all know too well now. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised if he, if he's already spoken to Salah. Um, and, and the interesting thing about these Mbappe links, I know everyone dismisses them, and a lot of people say it's pie in the sky, and, you know, look at the amount of money it could end up costing, and look who's interested, supposedly, and all this sort of thing. But but what Klopp may be doing is just sort of gambling on his own, his own pull, if you like, his own reputation in Europe. Because I think, you know, there, there are going to be plenty of young lads, and it is mainly young lads who play for, see, remember, who, <laughs> who look at Klopp and, 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 and his general demeanour, the, like, the type of football he plays, the fact that, like, all the vibes around Liverpool seem great and everyone seems to enjoy playing for Klopp. And just think, he's probably banking on a few of them just going, Do you know what, I fancy that. That looks all right, that. And so, so you know, I, I, I don't think you can sort of overstate that that looks great. 
that Liverpool looks great at the moment. So, all right, the Van Dijk thing's not great, and, and we can we can obsess over that a little bit. But take that out of the equation. Liverpool at the moment, there isn't a big crisis. There isn't loads of players kicking around who who are, who are terrible, or you know you want shifted out. There's no problem, child. There's a general good vibe around Liverpool. You know they've got in the Champions League. They've won seventy six points. You know they're going toe to toe with all the big clubs. So there's there's a lot to sell there, and Liverpool have got money as well. You know, despite Liverpool have got money kicking around, they made a profit in the last transfer window. There's money there. There's money to to go on, to go big and go bold, and I think that's what Klopp may be may be thinking there. Go big and go bold. Uh, suspect John and Gareth are both right between them in terms of the fact that this is no manager who looks like he's going to compromise. It was therefore going big and going bold may well happen. Thank you very much to John, to Gareth, to Rod for coming in. Sports Social Podcast Network.